Hi, Luna. Hi, Mom. To quote Bertolt Hoover, are we doing this now, here? I guess we are. Okay, then. Welcome to this inaugural episode of our Attack on Titan podcast. I would love to tell you what it's called, but we haven't decided on a name yet. So while we don't have a name, we do know what this podcast is going to be about. Luna and I will be discussing the current manga chapters. Uh, We'll include bits about the monthly poll and also highlights that we enjoyed from this season's anime. I'm Mom Taku. I'm best known from Tumblr, where I've been blogging about this series for more than four years. And my name is Luna, but on Reddit, I'm better known as Wings of Moonlit Night. And on Reddit, I upload everything related to the um, quote-unquote official chapter poll every month. And welcome to episode one of, well, whatever this is going to be called. So let's start with the chapter. Chapter 107 is called Visitor. And we'll be talking about three events that happened in this chapter. First off, we're going to start with Kiyomi's visit to Paradise. Second, we're going to talk about Nicolo's visit to Sasha's grave. And finally, we are going to talk about one last visit, namely Hanji visiting Eden in prison. So let's start with the one that we've waited for for the longest time, Kiyomi arriving at Paradis. Kiyomi Azumabito, I have been dying to say that name for months. Kiyomi <laughs> Azumabito is a character that we first met in Chapter 98. Um, you probably remember it's when um, I think it was Udo spilled something on her and she protected the children. She reappeared very briefly in 99 to wish Willie Tiber good luck in his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't seen her since. So, Luna, we've had essentially nine months now to speculate about this character. What did you think? Was she anything you expected? She was definitely not what I expected, actually. Because <laughs> I thought she was very caring for the audience, uh, but also had maybe some tricks up her sleeves, or maybe she was going to double-cross some people. But when we met her, she was kind of a friend about her intentions and what she wanted. And I think she is very close to getting exactly what she wants, which is uh, Paradis' resources and the money that comes with that. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You know, there are so many times when a new character is introduced that we just spend months and months wondering about their motives and who they're um, who they're working for. And with Kiyomi, I feel like there's none of that. I mean, she basically spelled out who she was and what she wanted in the very first conversation. So I don't feel like she's going to be someone that we're writing, you know, reams and reams of meta about. I think she's just a character who's, you know, the cards are on the table Mm -hmm. and uh, she definitely has her own interests and we're just going to sit back and enjoy her. Um, Were you at all disappointed? Were you hoping for somebody a little um, more suave? No, no, this was actually better than I expected. I mean, to see her drool like that. (laughs) It had me cracking up. And yeah, I actually am looking forward to what she has to offer, what she can put on the table, because at first I felt she was going to play everyone. But now I feel like Zeke might be playing her a little bit. And I'm not sure if that hunch that I have about that is right. Or maybe she still has one more ace up her sleeve. What do you think? I think, okay, the monthly chapter poll this month, we asked about her and um, definitely people feel like she probably has some more secrets. Like we, we don't know everything about her, but um, our attitude is pretty much like uh, collectively the fandom, uh, Mm -hmm. Hanji and Mikasa, who both were, you know, completely um, not at all blindsided by this character. You know, Mikasa (laughs) feels like she's being used. Hanji's like, well, we knew she was all about the money. So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, 
you know, like you, I was expecting somebody a little bit elegant, a little bit caring. And instead we have this, you know, money grabbing um, woman who is drooling at the thought of these, uh, what are they called? I don't even remember what the stones were called. Power stone? No. Ice burst. <laughs> ice burst stones. We have waited 107 chapters to learn about ice burst stones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, um, I was very, I don't know. Was I disappointed? No. I'm glad that this isn't a character that um, is full of, at this point, of secret motives. I'm glad that she's somebody that, um, you know, is just who she is and not at all embarrassed about drooling at the table. <laughs> no, she wasn't. No. No, I, I agree. She's kind of like maybe still like a snake in the grass, kind of seeing what, what prey she can eat. But on the other hand, she's also has a certain style or air about her that I really appreciate. I think she's going to be a very fun character to yeah, read up about in the upcoming chapters. And uh, yeah, Mikasa's reaction to her, like the deadpan, like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. Hmm. Guess that didn't quite go as I expected. That was so hilarious to me. Um, if she is a snake in the grass, at least she's not pretending to be anything aside from one. I mean, there's absolutely no <laughs> hidden agenda there at this point at all. But yeah, what did you think about the... Um, something I've noticed in the fandom is a lot of worry that um, Mikasa is the, um, you know, apparently the descendant of this shogun and it's going to create this yeah. role for her. But I read that a little bit differently. To me, it sounded like Kiyomi was saying that she's the last descendant of the shogun on the island. So I I do get the feeling that Mikasa's situation is slightly different from Historia's in that Historia absolutely is the last uh, member, female member of the Fritz family. Mikasa is not. Kiyomi is also of that family. So I do wonder... You know, people who are concerned about what direction this is going to take her character. I think she's valuable to Hizuru, to but mm -hmm. um, I think she's valuable more as like a national symbol than as, you know, the lost princess of Paradise or, or you know, something of that nature. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I don't think her role as like the so-called princess of Hizuru has any meaning at this point. And I don't know. I think... Again, like Kiyomi just used it as an opportunity to get like an, uh, a foot in with the Paradisians, but I don't think it's going to mean anything in the long run. And I don't think Mikasa herself would want it to mean anything in the long run. No, certainly not. And one thing I noticed that, um, you know, clearly she's not being treated any differently. She was still on the mission to Marley. She was still putting her life at risk. So even though she's like this descendant of the shogun of Hizuru, uh, <laughs> it's not a situation where they're putting her, you know, in a castle tower and locking her away and keeping her safe. So I guess I'm of the same hope of, as you. This is another maybe facet to her character, but it's not going to be anything that's truly defining. Is that how you feel? Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Um, she's not seen as the precious good like Eden is, because he's <laughs> the one being locked away and being kept from everyone. I have thoughts about that, by the way. We'll, we'll save those for yeah. another uh, visit. <laughs> okay, we can do that. So another side character that got a lot of attention this month was Nicola, which brings us to the next of the visit in this chapter entitled Visitors, and that was Nicola visiting Sasha's grave. And this was an emotional highlight for so many people. What was your favorite aspect of that moment? 
Uh, for me personally, I really liked seeing uh, Sasha's whole family there. So finding out that she had a mother and seeing a little girl with them. Uh, I thought at first it was her sister, but then later became clear it was probably the girl she saved earlier on. That was very emotional to me. Yeah. How did, how did you feel about that scene? I mean, I thought it was a great moment. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. At first, I was a little bit um, surprised that her death got so much reaction. I certainly don't begrudge mm. it. Sasha was a great character and, you know, deserved uh, these moments, not just... Um, a reaction at her death, but we saw her body being let off the airship. And now we have the scene with her family and her friends and, you know, people mourning her. This is really the first time that we've gotten that in this series. And, uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. hard not to feel a little sad because maybe, you know, other characters who died have not gotten that, but maybe it speaks more to the change in parodies, you know, that, um, you know, originally there was no time to mourn the dead, and now there is. Now, you know, the situation is still terrible, but, you know, it's not, it's not, they're not running from one crisis to a next. They're focusing on one giant crisis. And that allowed for, you know, Sasha to get some of the attention. That's definitely part of it. Um, but another part of it is also, in my opinion, that, well, you know, this is going to be a very big shift for the relations within the scouting corps. And I think Sasha's death might be the catalyst for that. I mean, of course, we already saw the wheels being put in motion when uh, Yelena arrived. But, you know, this was really, yeah, a defining moment for them and not in a good way. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time the 104th has lost somebody since um, the days of trust, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I mean, yeah. Bertold, Reiner, Annie, obviously. Yeah, but they don't really count right. <laughs> right. I mean, they were traitors, right? So this is the first time that they've lost one of their own. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm really glad that this focus happened. But um, like I said, at the same time, a little bit salty that, you know, I'll just say yeah. it, that Irwin has not gotten his memorial and we haven't seen Niall's reaction. And, you know, maybe that'll come. Maybe now that um, the focus of this series has changed to more of a bigger problem than, you know, Titans trying to eat them around every corner. Maybe, you know, we'll get a little more. I'm not yeah. going to hold my breath, but maybe. Well, I mean, Isayama himself said that Irwin was still important and that he would still be, you know, appearing in the series. So who knows? Maybe we'll get something more. I think also, you know, um, someone else who died at the same time, Bertolt. Yeah. He never really got a true like goodbye from Reiner, for example, but now that he has been confirmed death, I think we will also be getting something there, perhaps. Well, and Isayama did did say during the um, event, the fan event that mm -hmm. was several months back, that um, he kind of regretted the way he handled Mike and and even Marco. I've heard where he, really? I don't know if he was teasing, but um, you know, kind of had forgotten to include. Uh, Marco's death. That might have been him trolling the fandom, but um, <laughs> I know the expression about Mike seemed sincere, you know, that he killed a lot yeah. of good people early on, and, and those scenes not being revisited uh, did leave a lot of people feeling sort of empty. Yeah, with Mike, I can especially understand, because he was supposed to be, like, the second best uh, soldier that they had, and nobody even really mentioned it. So, and the way he died was rather brutal as well, so... Yeah, it was um, absolutely horrible. And, you know, there was no acknowledgement of him until 
you know, Irwin's imagining him as he's standing on a pile of corpses. And I mean, at least I remember at the time we were all just like feeling like that was, you know, we were so happy even for that, which is kind of, it tells you how horrifying this series is that we're happy to see, you know, somebody's (laughs) face in a pile of corpses. It's like, yes, he's been acknowledged. We, you know, it's really sad. True. True. So holding out hope for that epilogue there to kind of give us closure. And I am holding out hope, like you said, Bertold, I think, has had the least amount of attention uh, since his death. So maybe we'll get that moment with Reiner. Yeah, well, I think he was going to draw some more stuff about Bertold, I think. He said that he didn't really think about Bertold a lot. But then, you know, maybe after he thought of his father, he got inspired to write something more. I don't know. We'll see. I hope so. By the way, how did you feel about um, Connie talking about Sasha and the things he said about her? I mean, that's I, I think that the Springles shippers, this is horrible for them, but they absolutely got everything that they wanted. I mean, the, the scene in chapter, was it 106, where they have their arms around each other and the way that she's holding his hand. And then, uh, you know, this with Connie's own admission that he's lost half of himself. I think that, you know, mm. Springles is such a great ship and, you know, everybody should be. I think everyone's really happy to have gotten this moment for them and yeah, to I see think so too. Yeah, Connie's very real grief. Um, nobody likes to see Connie sad, but, um, you know, it's definitely the, the importance that they were to each other was not just something that we were reading in the pages of the manga. The importance to each other was, you know, part of the canon story. So it's nice to get that sort of gratification when you've liked uh, a couple of characters for such a long time. Yeah, I agree. And it was a really beautiful moment and just very touching to read. And and I'm also glad that they um, defended Nicolo, all of them against the, I think, was it a, somebody from um, the garrison? I guess so. I, I I should I should go back and look at those pages because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, certainly the grave wasn't being guarded unless this garrison soldier had just come to see Sasha as well and was offended at the sight of a Merlean. Um, I think yeah, so. It was so nice to have um, that moment of of people coming together and you know everyone acknowledging that even though they're on the on different sides of the fence, maybe that that this was something they could agree on, that Sasha was a great girl and, you know, that Nicola had done such a complete 180 in his feelings for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also really like the handshake between Nicolo and Sasha's father. I think, you know, it gave me a little bit of hope that, you know, the Marleans and the Eldians can work to some sort of peaceful future together. I hope so. We'll see. We'll see. It was a great moment. Yeah. It was a great moment. I know the series itself is not really moving towards that direction, but at least um, right now on Paradise, it's looking a little bit better. So Yeah, we had that one moment of people getting along, that one moment yeah. that, um, yeah. Yeah, they were getting along. We need to yeah. be satisfied with that because we're going to move right into a visit where people did not get along. Yeah. Um, it did not have that emotional satisfaction. <laughs> not one bit. No, so yeah, Hanji visiting in. Mm. So um, we um, we pulled this uh, event and we asked people uh, if they agreed with Aaron's reaction and if his anger was justified. And 
um, there was kind of a 50-50 split to people agreeing with him and people disagreeing with him. What do you think about that? I'll be honest with you. So I have been following and or doing and or participating in these monthly chapter polls for almost two years. And I have <laughs> never, ever been more shocked at a reaction. I mean, the question was, yes or no, is Aaron being too harsh towards Hanji? And I thought for sure this one would be a slam dunk that, you know, we in the fandom could look at that situation and say, yeah, he's crossed the line here. This, you know, grabbing your superior officer and screaming at them until your shifter lines show up and spitting in their face is probably not acceptable. So when the vote, literally, there was what, like 0.7% separating? Oh, please, Luna, explain this to me. How How is half of the fandom seeing Aaron reacting as he did towards Hanj, which I think, you know, I would call it rage, fury, anger. How is that okay? How is that not um, being too harsh? Honestly, I don't think the results were that surprising because if we look at the polls from the past couple of months, every time we talk uh, about Aaron's actions, we can see that 50% of the fandom agrees with Aaron and the other side does not. So, yeah, was I surprised to see another 50-50 split? No, not really. But whether I personally think uh, if he was too harsh, mm, it's it's a bit tricky because I don't really see Hanji as the, the natural leader that Erwin was. And she, um, I don't think she ever really got that respect from Erwin as well because, you know, he kind of sees her as his goofball and, you know, they do experiments together. And, of course, she's still uh, his superior, but I don't think... Um, she ranks as high as Levi or Erwin in his mind, so it makes it much easier for him now that he's stronger and older and has really, you know, chosen his own path to go against uh, what she wants. And, yeah, the fact that she was also kind of taunting him and, you know, making fun of him didn't really help the situation, in my opinion. What do you think about it? Now, I, I read the situation differently. I, I didn't see, I've, I've seen other people make, it, make the accusation that she was taunting him. But I, to me, it was a callback to the early days, to their early days. You know, she's the one who visited him in prison mm -hmm. when he first, um, right before the court scene with Levi. Um, they'd stayed up all night talking. You know, I really think mm -hmm. what she was attempting to do was to connect with him as they had done in the past, to kind of build on the repertoire that they'd had, you know, for the last five years. Um, I think that she, you know, was trying to reach him. And the fact that she couldn't, I don't think is mm -hmm. any indication of her leadership skills because nobody can reach him. I mean, he's Han, uh, not just Hanj, Armin and Mikasa, the two people that he historically, you know, would do anything for, are he's treating them like complete strangers. So this is one of those situations for all my Erwin Smith fangirling. I don't think he would have made a difference. I don't think I don't think Aaron would have respected him either or Levi. Clearly not Levi, since he, uh, you know, disobeyed the orders to start with. So I just can't point to this as a situation where a Hanji is somehow flawed in her leadership. I just see it as Aaron is so far gone that nothing would help. Mm, I'd say you're like half right. I do agree <laughs> with Aaron kind of being like unreachable at this point. 
But on the other hand, um, you could see when Levi punished him for his uh, insubordinance, he didn't reply. He took it. But with Hanji, he fights back and he grabs her. Yeah, I think there's just something about her. I think Erwin would have at least chosen a path and really he would have come up with another option, I feel like. And I feel like it's... I'm kind of disappointed almost that Hanji wasn't able to. Um, I would have expected her to. It's not just Hanji. We've got Armin as well. Armin, you know, everybody talks about how great of a leader Armin would be or that Armin should have replaced Erwin. <laughs> you know what? He's right there, too, at the table with Hanji. I mean, if if he can't come up with anything and she can't come up with anything. I mean, mm. I just feel like a lot of blame is being put on Hanji at this point. And if you want to be honest about it, it's not. It's it's the entire survey court. Levi, Armin, Hanji, Mikasa, nobody is coming up with anything better. She's the one that happened to be at his, um, you know, prison cell at that moment. But I would expect that, um, you know, it might have been a situation where anybody had gotten that treatment. Maybe. Yeah. But I do agree. It's it's not just her. It's everyone. Nobody has been able to come up with something alternative. And I'm kind of, yeah, like I said, I'm still surprised about that because we have some people who are very quick on their feet and have been able to make it through some very dire situations. But now that they've had years to think on something, all of a sudden they're not able to. I don't know. We need, it's another situation where we need more information. I mean, we need to know what the problem is that they're trying to overcome. And I think right now we're all just sort of lost. I, you know, the whole chapter maybe blindsided us in some ways. We know Aaron is frustrated. We know he's angry, but we don't really know why. Um, is it because of Historia? Is it because of, you know, the Survey Corps' refusal to work with Zeke? Um, mm -hmm. That's for another chapter. Maybe we'll get that in chapter 108. Yeah. Well, there's so much to speculate on and so much to talk about. Maybe we should talk about another topic. Let's move to happier ground. Yeah. <laughs> we could probably spend another hour on this topic, but I think in the interest of not offending everyone who's listening to us, um, <laughs> we could move to a better topic. Uh, something that was exciting for many people was that we got a glimpse of the warriors. And I know that that was a highlight for you, Luna. So go ahead. What did you... Uh, how much did that moment mean to you? Uh, everything. <laughs> no, I was really happy. A, I was so glad to see them together. It felt like they all had each other's back. And, you know, of course, I also really appreciated um, Reiner's physique. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Isayama appreciates his physique as well. I think Isayama appreciates the most. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That man cannot get enough of Reiner, he and can't. I'm very happy about that. I'm never going to complain about that, but it's a bit obvious. Do you want to go ahead and read the description of Reiner from the character directory where he uh, described Reiner? Oh, I, it's going it's like, to be very hard to read that with, without laughing, because it, it kills me every time. It, it, yeah, oh he's God. not even hiding. He's not even hiding it at, at this point. This is just, no. it's unbelievable. No, I don't have the exact version here at the moment, but it, he said like, oh, not only does he have like David Beckham and Matt Damon's good looks, <laughs> not only is he super muscular, not only does he have the absolute best personality, but he's also destined for great things. I was like... 
You basically created the perfect man. Like, you cannot tell me he's not 100% into Reiner. It's... <laughs> Well, that's the part that got me was when he tacked on great personality at the end, because, you know, I think I think a significant portion of the fandom really hates Reiner uh, or, you know, just does not like him as a character. And here Isayama is like, you know, I wanted him to be a good person. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> not just this amalgamation of David Beckham. And um, yeah, it was so, so over the top. Like, I can't even I blushed reading it. Okay, I blushed for Isayama reading it. But yeah, so yeah, so Reiner was there, topless. I don't think he was just topless. Let's just say that. <laughs> we have to move past this point. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's move on. Do so, something. so I noticed Peak is still alive. I was a little surprised. <laughs> I, was, I was in the 6 or 7% of people who thought that Isayama was going to have like this Game of Thrones moment where, you know, Peak dies and Colt, uh, you know, Magath has to make this split second decision between letting her regenerate and not risking her death and Colt, you know, whatever. I was wrong. She looks great. Uh, yeah, I was in the same boat. I kind of didn't really see any place for her in the story. Of course, she is the one who kind of spilled the beans on Zeke and the fact that he's working with Paradis. And I'm very happy that she's very clever and she's very good at perceiving things. And yeah, I was kind of surprised because she looked the best out of all three of them. And I think she got beat up the worst out of all three of them. So she was doing yeah. a lot better than I thought she would. Yeah, I really thought we were going to have that, uh, is Peak going to make it, yes or no drama. But, you know, she's sitting up in bed, um, you know, staring mm -hmm. at the two of them, at, at Reiner and Porco. And, uh, yeah, I mean, live to tell. So I, I'm happy. I'm surprised. But I'm, I'm happy. I thought the losses on Marley's side would include more than Zeke. So, so what yeah, about Porco? True. There was um, Porco, a little change of heart there, do you think? I think so. Yeah, yeah. He seemed very accepting of Reiner. And I like that it was a nice um, contrast to the first time we saw him where he was eating and he had his back turned towards Reiner and he was being uh, very snippy with him. And now he was uh, turned towards him and offering him his drinks. So I think uh, it's safe to say that uh, his feelings have changed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think in the chapter poll, we asked that question about, you know, whether or not people felt differently about Porco after this. And you probably remember the exact number better than I do. But the most significant number was people who, you know, were happy that he uh, was being a little bit less of a jerk. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people have also changed their mind a little bit on Porco. And they see him a little bit differently now in a better in a better light. Yeah, I'm happy for that because I think uh, the relationship between uh, Porco and Reiner, yeah, there's still a lot to develop there. And uh, I'm also kind of curious when he will find out what Marcel did for him. Yeah, that's um, that's going to be rough. Yeah, and a lot of people are looking forward to his moment with Historia because we we have to have we have to have some resolution. Speaking of you know deaths and resolutions, that's another one where you know isn't I don't think it's done yet. You know Ymir's memory, Porco's memory of Ymir. Somehow uh, this has to factor into Historia again. Mm. Well, I truly hope we haven't seen the last of Emia. It would be interesting to see Porco and Historia meet. But 
I don't know, concerning her current situation, I'm I'm very curious to find out what is going through her mind right now. Yeah. Because that was not not at all how I expected this um well, not at all how I expected her life to develop. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, this is honestly, um, that last page of the manga is one that if I mm. had a choice, I would not discuss at all because I, it's, I think it's horrifying. Um, you know, it was, it, it, it's upset a lot of people. I see reactions oh, ranging yes. from, you know, some people are very flippant about it. Oh, it's a necessity. A necessity. Royals have babies. That's what they do. That's, you know, and other people are quitting the series because they're perceiving this moment as Historia's character development being just shredded to pieces and utterly destroyed. Um, I don't know. Is this a topic do you want to delve, delve into? Do you want to talk about uh, that last page of the manga that showed Historia's pregnancy? I mean, as we could see, like also in a chapter poll, like the... Um, the overall grade this chapter received was a little bit lower than normally. And uh, I think there were a lot of strong reactions, as you mentioned, to um, Historia's pregnancy. And I think for now, it's just um, best to kind of leave this topic alone until we have some more information on what exactly is going on and, you know, how she feels about the entire thing than to speculate on something that people already don't have good feelings about. Yeah, I think so as well. I think that um, I'm, I don't trust Isayama with this, not in the sense that um, I don't trust him to handle it well. I don't trust that it's real. I There's a huge part of me that's holding out hope that this is all just a ruse, that Historia and Aaron, I mean, ultimately what I'd love is some sort of, um, you know, where they've made a plan of their own. You know, every time Aaron touches Historia, she gets memories too. We've seen her eyes widen. <clears throat> We've seen her have these thoughts. Um, you know, I'd love to think that there's 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 more going on than what it looks like, because because what it looks like now is very defeatist. And I would hate to think we see so many defeated characters in the story. I'd hate to think that Historia is one of those. I, would, I don't want her just to be collateral damage at this point. She's come so far. So, yeah, my hope is this is not what it appears to be. Yeah, I've uh, I've noticed that you have some alternative theories. Yes, yes. My favorite at the moment is that uh, it was not Historia sitting on the porch. It is Armin in cosplay, because that would explain his absence from Chapter 107 as well. Clearly, it's him and not her, since, you know, they've done this before. So, you know, maybe this is all a ruse to trick Zeke and Kiyomi into believing that the Survey Corps is being more cooperative than they actually are. Yeah, well, as much as I'm sure a lot of people would like that theory to be true, I, yeah, I'm still afraid that she's really pregnant. But um, yeah. I think I've discussed this a little bit before with you, but I feel like this current arc ever since Marley started is kind of about people who had once had dreams and, had, you know, their dreams will never become a reality. You know, we thought that uh, or Aaron thought that killing all the Titans would give him freedom. Well, obviously, the Titans are now all gone, but freedom is not exactly around the corner. And, you know, same with Reiner. He thought, you know, going home, he would be happy and he would have a he would be reunited with his father and they could be a happy family. That didn't quite work out that way either. And um, also Emir, Yeah, she thought she could live for herself. But in the end, she... She gave her life to save others. And, you know, I think Historia might just be, you know, another person on that list whose dreams might never, you know, come true. And, yeah, it's sad and depressing, but it's also what this entire series is. So. 
I'm just not accepting it. As long as I have the choice, until there is a child, you know, emerging from her loins, screaming its first breath of air, I am going to stay while I have the choice. I choose denial. So, but I agree. I mean, it's just that, you know, there was one comment in the poll. I think it's one of the ones we listed as the top ones, which was basically like, how much further are we going to sink in Reiner level depressions <laughs> over this series? Like at what point does this series hit rock bottom? And, you know, I keep looking, you know what it feels like? I don't know if you, you were probably reading the manga live when it was going on, but do you remember Trost? It was just forever. And it, it, you know, it, it, everyone's dying every, you know, the alpha squad's dying. Aaron can't do the job. You know, Mm. it, it just, I remember just the drudgery of reading chapter after chapter, just wanting any glimmer of hope. And I think I'm at that point again with attack on Titan. Like give me, Aside from Nicola being nice to Sasha's dad, mm-hmm. I need some glimmers of hope and I'm just not getting, I haven't been getting them for, um, you know, months now. For months, it's just been getting darker and darker and I'm ready, I'm ready for more glimmers of hope. Yeah. So the glimmer of hope I am holding on to is that this is all a lie, that Isayama mm-hmm. included that last page to get us upset and then he's going to pull a fast one on us. Okay. Well, I I still haven't found (laughs) that glimmer yet. I'm still in the doom and despair zone. So, why did we choose this series? Why there are so many nice series out there we could be talking about? Why did we pick Attack on Titan? (laughs) Because we like to hurt ourselves, apparently. Ah, us and you know an entire fandom of people. So here we are. Yeah. So here we are stuck with this series that makes us absolutely miserable month after month uh, and somehow accepting it and loving it. And not just that, we keep looking for new ways to make ourselves uh, pain. And of course, that takes us right into the anime season, which started this week in the U.S. and in the world. Oh, yeah. Finally, Sunday, the 22nd of July, we got the very, very first episode of season three. I know we both already kind of saw it before the official release, but now we finally have the opening as well. So this time around, uh, Linked Horizon wasn't responsible for the opening. How did you feel about that? Did you miss them? Well, okay, I'm just going to talk about the song only. I think the visuals are a separate conversation. Okay. Um, I, I, I love Linked Horizon. I have absolutely loved the anthem songs that have accompanied our SNK seasons. I mean, they're, they're workout songs. They're, you know, throw over the government, overthrow the government songs. You know, they're these powerful uh, songs that get you pumped and ready. And this one was very different. Um I remember when I heard the 30-second snippet, I loved it. I, I had kind of been hoping for sort of like that heartfelt power ballad. I thought it would fit the tone of the season uh, because this season is going to just gut a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We're getting Levi, Irwin, Historia, all of these just, you know, gut-wrenching childhood backstories. And I thought a power ballad OP would really set the tone for that. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I love the song. I do miss Linked Horizon. I love the song. Um, what do you think about the song itself? Was it a hit or a miss? I'm not really sure how I feel about it yet. Maybe I need to listen to it a couple more times. But I do agree that like the bombastic openings we had in season one and two wouldn't be quite as fitting for the Uprising arc. But I don't know. There's something about Red Swan that feels like every other anime opening that I heard during my teenage years. Um, 
I don't know. I like I said, I don't dislike it, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not in love with it yet. But who knows? Maybe that will come later. Yeah, I also didn't like uh, Shinzo Sasagayo the first time I heard it either. But yeah, I love it now. So, except for those dinosaurs, they still don't make any <laughs> sense to me whatsoever. Well, that, you know, the dinosaurs takes us into a conversation about the visuals of this OP. So I loved the song. But then when I saw the visuals, I was really surprised. Um, I'm not so sure... Let me back up. I thought it was beautiful. I thought the focus on Ian, I mean, it, it to me, that felt very kind of typical 2000 anime opening. Mm. You know, the blue sky, the children <laughs> running together, True. characters bumping into each other. I felt like I was watching like the intro to Your Lion April or, you know, just some slice of life anime, some kind of heartbreaking slice of life anime. So I thought, I thought it was beautiful. Uh, I am still scratching my head about the content. I, to me, what I saw, you know, with the with a very heavy EMA focus on their childhood, is just more fitting for maybe the return to Shigans- to Shiganshina arc as opposed to uprising. Uprising, I was expecting. I don't know. The visuals surprised me. I just was not expecting quite the childhood EMA focus that we saw. I don't think it's bad. I just, I'm not sure it fits with this season. What did you think? Um, yeah, I expected more focus on Historia and on Levi. And not as much on, like, uh, EMA either. But I don't know. I don't dislike it because, um, you know, like I said, this is definitely about childhood and um, leaving that innocence behind. And I think the clearest representation we've gotten as viewers is from uh, EMA. Like, we've seen them as small children. We've seen how they've changed due to their circumstances. And um, we haven't really had that with Historia or Levi or even Ervin yet. So I think it was a good choice in that regard, because it would resonate more with the fans. Uh, I'm also really surprised that they put uh, a certain scene in the opening. Namely, the one where we see a hand in the background, and then we see Aaron um, looking very determined, Mikasa looking in the distance, and Armin looking quite sad. And then we see a cut on the hand, and I think that was a reference to the Marley arc already. I, I think so as well. I think I've even written a post to that regard. I'm I'm almost certain that uh, they're foreshadowing Armin's transformation next arc. And I thought about this. You know, we we noticed already some drastic drastic changes in the organization of this arc. Episode one, mm. you know, is jumping all over the place. Maybe. Maybe we're in for a huge surprise all the way through. Maybe things that we think, you know, I think childhood EMA works better in Return to Shiganshina. Maybe that's going to be introduced in this season. Maybe this whole, you know, the next 20 chapters of the manga are going to be put in the storytelling blender and pieced (laughs) together and spit out the other side. We don't know what any of these episodes. We are all in for a shock or a wild ride. Because... Holy crap, that was a lot of manga chapters they managed to cram into episode one. Like It really was. Uh, and so I think that we're all going to be just sort of week by week um, shocked by what happens or, or what doesn't happen might even be the way to put it. Yeah, true, because um, we also have a lot of parts from the manga that were cut out. And with some of them, I feel like, well, we're definitely not going to get them back. And with others, I'm still 
unsure. Like, are we going to get them at a later time, perhaps? Um, are we even getting, like, some new material to fill up some gaps? I don't know. Well, I think we can. I mean, the fact that um, Reiner, Bertold, Annie, and Marcel were in the intro tells me that we're going to be getting some new. I can't imagine that scene is there just for fun. I mean, clearly, uh, this first half of this anime season is going to touch on things that we were not expecting. That's a scene that's not even in the manga at this point. So, Yeah, true. Well, it, it is kind of, I guess, but not really, because we do see them, you know, traveling at night and we also see them looking for a place to camp and we see them with their lanterns so in the manga but not that exact scene you're right but i do wonder if we will get that flashback that we got um around 10 chapters ago now yeah i'm wondering as well i mean look at it this way the fact that the person who storyboarded the op felt Mm -hmm. like showing the warrior children was more important than showing you know yamir and gene and sasha (laughs) who were completely (laughs) left out of it i mean to me that's um interesting storytelling if those things are not even going to be included for another you know 12 or 14 episodes so i do think that that's an indication that you know, everything, everything we know about the manga is kind of up for grabs at this point. And it is, it is going to be told in a totally different way. Um, yeah, I think so, too. And I'm not necessarily um, opposed to that, because as we saw with last season, um, they moved up a couple of flashbacks as well, namely Marco's death scene and uh, Emir's uh, childhood flashback. And I think both of those flashbacks were used extremely well in season two. So I hope rearranging the Uprising arc will lead to eventually a better quality anime. I think it worked too. And I'm excited. I mean, as somebody who knows the manga very well, I'm very open to being surprised every week and not just having my manga volume out and flipping the pages, you know, watching it become animated in front of me. I'm excited. I'm excited that it's going to be a complete retelling. I'm very excited for this season and I can't wait to see what we'll get. And yeah, it's kind of like we're all going on some sort of adventure together. And honestly, I can't wait to see where it'll take us. So we've talked about the OP and the shuffling of the manga. Of of what you've seen, what was your favorite moment? What did you enjoy the best? Um, the ending, of course, where we finally got to see Kenny and um, Levi kind of almost going at it. Oh, it was animated so beautifully. I absolutely love that scene. It was fantastic. Was Kenny everything you hoped for? Was or was there any disappointment there? I mean, we have all been waiting for that bar <laughs> scene and we got, you know, we got him flying through the doorway. Yeah. Well, actually, he's one of my least favorite characters, but I love seeing him in the anime. He just has this nice swag about him and he's just I don't know, he's so cool and the way they animate him is so funny. I'm 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 down for it. I'm completely down for Kenny this season. What about the voice? A lot of people were concerned about um, who would be his voice actor and whether or not he'd be able to pull off that sort of swagger. Yeah, I think they uh, they chose very well because I really really enjoy his voice actor as well. And Levi in that scene, oh my god, the animation team did a great job on him. And it's also kind of funny because I'm now reading some posts about people that they cannot watch season one anymore because he looks too good in season three. I agree with that. I mean, he really did. We used to joke about him being 
you know, the short, grumpy gremlin character. And he's hot. He is beautiful this season. I, I can't stop staring. Um, yeah, I that um, I think it's also kind of funny because I think they made him taller this season. Maybe that's interesting. Yeah, because you can see it in like the promotional material. He's the same height as Aaron while he's supposed to be shorter. And if you compare like the manga panels, you can see like when he's walking next to Mikasa, like the gap has closed in. <laughs> he's he's kind oh. of taller. I don't know if he started wearing heels in the anime or or what happened. But. Wow, I had not noticed that. I'm going to have to pay attention. Uh, so I guess that takes uh, Kenny's comment. You haven't grown a bit, have you, to a whole new yeah. level. Maybe <laughs> it's not so true anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like it's um I know it was tongue in cheek, but it's like mm, I'm not so sure about that. Okay, that's definitely on my must pay attention to list. I'm going to be looking to see if Levi he definitely is cuter. He definitely mm-hmm. looks a little more like Shoujo or uh you know, the the collarbone, the jaw, his hair. His hair used to always just look like um you know, this thick um like a like a mop head almost yeah. cut short and you know he definitely has been styling it better so mm-hmm. yeah he's been uh, he's been glamming it up for us and i think the fangirls are very happy <laughs> about that speaking of fangirls i don't know if you noticed or not that the uh, anime only content involving erwin and levi where they are in the bedroom having a conversation uh Probably only, you know, a segment of the fandom would notice this, but uh, Levi was not wearing the cravat and he had a few of his shirt buttons unbuttoned and um, <laughs> collarbone. And I'm not, I'm not gushing over this exactly. I'm just, it's interesting. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, but thank you for pointing it out. Yes. <laughs> Go back and look. Take a look. Um, and we skipped over I a will. whole lot of uh, important you know, I thought conversation with Erwin and Levi, we've, we've, we haven't gotten any of that. We certainly didn't get the hospital scene where they snicker at each other and insult each other. But, you know, we got Levi relaxing in Erwin's bedroom, not wearing the cravat. Um, yeah, take it for what you will. I appreciated that moment. I'm sure you did. And I'm sure I did. A lot of your friends did as well. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on to... Next episode, predictions. What do you think? I mean, obviously, uh, it's either... I can't imagine at this point throwing in a flashback now. I mean, we got we got Kenny sliding into the bar. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? The episode is called Pain. Yeah, yeah. I think... Are we getting the torture scene? We must be getting that scene. I don't see how we would. I mean, if Levi is literally on the roof... With Kenny heading into the bar, how are we going to get that? The manga chapter named Pain is Irwin's backstory and the torture mm-hmm. scene. So, you know, maybe we're going to get just a hint of that. I, I am. Or maybe at this point, we're going to jump right into Levi's childhood backstory. I think we're going to see Levi get away from Kenny, but I don't think we're going to get the entire bar scene next uh, next chapter. So I don't think they have I time wonder. to put everything in. So. I don't either. I mean, I am just so at a loss. I Part of me would not be surprised at this point if the action stops and they go ahead and dive right into um, Levi and Kenny's childhood. I mean, maybe not right away, mm. but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that's a little a little more fluid the way it's presented. Because I think in the... Um, 
in the manga, we did not get that until chapter 69. Is that right? Uh, and here we are in the 50s, the early 50s. We should be, mm. you know, pain is chapter 55. I am just probably wrong on that. I am reciting these numbers without mm. having looked them up. But I'm pretty sure pain is 55. Levi's childhood story is 69. So we'll see how... Just how much shuffling yeah. is about to happen I think here. Things will get jumbled up a little bit, and um, yeah, we'll have to see how it works out in the end. But I, uh, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious because I'm kind of excited for the the bar scene, but I kind of also feel like it, they will blue ball us because yeah, the entire first episode was kind of action packed, and I feel like now we're gonna have a breather for one or two episodes, and then we'll have another action packed episode. What do you think? I, I I don't know what to think. I mean, I am I am literally for the first time just along for the ride. So, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe we'll be screaming about it during our next podcast or maybe we'll be, you know, rejoicing. So we'll just have to find out. We'll see. But at least Erwin will be in it, right? Absolutely. I I am very grateful for every moment that he's in. Every moment yeah. that he's in the anime. So, and especially that intro where he and Levi, uh, a scene I know that none of us expected to see the two of them as children mm. walking past each other. And uh, that's another scene that um, I haven't dissected. I've, we've dissected a lot of scenes so far of that intro, trying to make sense of them. That one I really love because Erwin, again, is not, he's straight ahead. He's focused. He's looking in the distance, whereas Levi is looking up to Erwin. So certainly foreshadowing the relationship between those two. Yeah, I also didn't expect to see like them together in one frame, but I think it was very nicely done. And uh... and I'm sure it's symbolic. I'm sure they're not going to rewrite their childhood. I, I think it was symbolic. I think the, I, I mean, agree. that would be great. But <laughs> I the whole, the whole OP felt very symbolic. I think it did as well. Yes. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our very first podcast. We hope you all enjoyed it. So, Mom, what do we have in store next time? Well, next time we're uh, going to start a discussion of Chapter 108 and also include more thoughts on the anime. We're open to uh, any questions from people who listen to this. So if there's anything you'd like to know or a topic that you'd like us to discuss, by all means, please leave us a question in the comments below. Luna and I would like to thank you for opening up your hearts and ears. Until next time. Bye. Can you say bye? Mom? Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> Be nice. Okay, 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 okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>